So we're ready? Let's pray. Father, I just praise you and thank you. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you speak the words you want spoken, um, that I can get out of the way and you can say what you want spoken. Uh, I pray for uh, eyes to hear, ears, uh, eyes to see, ears to hear. There you go. <laughs> that too. <laughs> eyes to hear. Actually, that's scriptural because in um, ha yeah, Habakkuk, it says, give me uh let me see that I may hear. So I'm not even far off on my mistakes. There you go. In the Jesus name. <clears throat> I know that most of you don't ever see me outside. A lot of you don't. Even though you see me a little bit outside of here, you really don't see me outside of here. And... I am, not, I am more timid than what you think. I don't come off that way. And so when I get up here and I begin to lead into worship or to do what I do, uh, it's, it's sometimes very hard for me because I, I feel like I'm supposed to be quieter. And then the shofars blow, and before you know it, there's this thing that comes over me that makes me want to go, thy kingdom come, <laughs> okay? And, and, and that's what you see is this part of me up here. You don't see who I am when I go to the grocery store or somewhere else. I'm actually more shy. But you get me under this place, and then I almost scare myself. I'm thinking, what are you doing? Stop this. Just stop this, you know? And I think, okay, okay, just quiet it down, and, and, and I can't. I can't. And so, <clears throat> which leads me to where I'm going to pick up from where um, Kevin, Kevin spoke. It was, so, it was so good last week. And I, I went home and I went, man, this just confirmed everything that you're doing and saying to me, Lord, about being led by the Spirit. So what I wanted to, I looked at Rick. I'd been wrestling through different things, and I looked at Rick and I said, I want to share Sunday. And he said, okay. And I said, I do. I want to share. I want to pick up where he left off. And I told him what I wanted to share about. And then probably an hour or two later, I went, oh, dear God, what did you just do? And I even said to Rick several times, maybe I shouldn't share it. Make sure you have a message. Because I don't, I'm serious. I thought, I don't know. I'm going to do this. And so this morning when I got up, he was downstairs. I was upstairs. And I went down and I said, okay. Did you just tell me I could share because you thought it was a nice thing and you didn't want to say no to me? Or did you feel it was the will of God? Because I don't think I can do this without knowing the truth. And he said, no, I felt that you were supposed to. Okay, so, so here goes, guys. Not my fault. How's that? <laughs> Not my fault. Two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago. Boy, this is hard seeing back here. No wonder you hate it. Two weeks ago... We were in the back room, if you'll recall, and when we started to pray, I saw Duck, Duck, Goose, remember? For those of you that have been here. And 
So then Kevin, at the, the first week I got that, was speaking about Nehemiah. And then last week, he, uh, he opens this, this understanding of Nehemiah. It was awesome. And so one of the things that the Lord has been speaking is just do what I tell you personally to do. And so my question began to be, how do I build the wall that the Lord is telling me to build? How do you build the wall? What is your job in all of this? And uh, before I continue on, I want to say something that needs to be said. God is sovereign. And in, it, there's always almost a, an off balance when a new teaching comes. And for the last several years, this isn't tight enough. For the last several years, where do you tighten this up? Oh, you can't. I just can't lean on. For the last several years, we've been learning that it is our job to bring the kingdom. And so that is a truth, but it's not the whole truth. And it's important, and prior to that, we believed in the sovereignty of God. Therefore, que sera, sera, whatever God decides to do, he's going to do, and there's nothing you can do about it. Where's Katie? I wish she was in here. Squirrely rat, squirrely rat. That's what they used to say. And, and so there's this, there's always these, north and south pole on this. Either God is sovereign and he's going to do whatever he wants or you better be doing something because he ain't going to do anything until you do it. And now we find us in 2021 with two groups of prophets. One are saying that we are under God's judgment and the United States is going down and you didn't pray enough you didn't fast enough, and you didn't witness enough. I've heard it all. Then there's the other group that says, no, no, no. God has a plan for the United States, and he is going to bring that plan to pass. And you just wait. And you've got the ones that don't believe that God's going to do it saying, where is he at? And then you've got the other ones, no, 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 wait. Where are you? Where am I? That's where it takes me. And this teaching. So what do I do with this, Lord? What do I do? Where do I stand? How do I stand? What am I supposed to do with all of this? Boy, I don't know how to even... Oh, I wish you guys knew what was in my brain. I, I was because there's so much to get me to where I'm going, and I can't bring it all in. But I am going to tell you a little bit of a story. God creates heaven and earth. Boy, God creates heaven and earth, and he he creates the earth, and in the earth he builds, he plants, he brings a garden. I'm going to tell you stuff that might blow your theology. You're just going to have to go search in yourself. How's that? 
So there's heaven and earth, and we've been taught there's heaven and earth, and God creates this this um, garden, and he puts Adam and Eve in the garden. And what we think is that the garden is just for Adam and Eve, but it wasn't. It was for God to be with Adam and Eve. It was his place to meet with Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve were supposed to take this garden and then they were supposed to take the rest of the world and make it like the garden, not without the presence of God. He was to abide in the garden and the man in him and he was to toil with the Lord and he was to learn and then he was to go out and he was to fulfill the mandate to go and subdue the earth. But something happened. We are told, now this is going to go against some theology and I don't have time and I'm probably going to regret doing this, but we are told that there was a war in heaven and Satan was kicked out in a third of his angels. We only read that in Revelations. But a third of his angels are kicked out and he gets landed on the earth and, and now he's there to tempt us. I've often wondered, why would God do that? Didn't you ever wonder that? Why would he let him get kicked out and then put him on the earth so that he could tempt us? I'm going to give you a different story, and this isn't even where I was going to go, so I'm going to be like some of those teachers going, I don't know why I went this direction, but I'm going to go. Let's suppose that the garden is the throne where God visits his people, because that's really what it is. He comes and he, he meets with them. And in Ezekiel 28, it says that there was a guardian cherub that was placed in the garden. Now, can I tell you something? God always goes with his cherubim. He always goes with his angels. He never goes somewhere without them. If you don't believe me, look at Ezekiel, look at Revelations, look at the different times. He has his group that goes with him. And we are told in Ezekiel 28 that there was a guardian cherub in cherubim or cherub, cherubim, something like that, uh, that was in the garden. And he was beautiful. He was, he was beautiful. And he was there to guard. In comes man. And they get to rule God gives them this planet that was made for man. He gives them the ability to rule. When do you think Satan fell? What made him fall? Did you ever wonder that? Like, what made him fall? Do you want to know what makes you fall? When you're good at something and somebody comes along? And gets what you want. And all at once, Satan, cherub, whatever you want to call him, guardian. He wants 
what they have, and he wants to raise his throne above the throne of God. All at once, what is found in him is jealousy and envy. It says in the garden is where sin was discovered in you. There's, see, there's this thing that happened, and so now he wants to usurp the authority of the one that has the true authority, which is Adam and Eve. And so he does this. He deceives the woman, gets her, gets her to eat of the fruit, and Adam follows suit, and they sin. And now there's a curse on the land. There's a curse on uh, the um, Satan. And you know the story. We're living the story, actually. You don't have to know it. We're in it. We're in the story. But it doesn't stop there. It only begins there, where man begins to fall. And then... There's this, this second fall where we are told that the sons of God come into the daughters of man, and they have what we call Nephilim. They're giants. And then they teach, if you go into the book of Enoch, they teach all these evil things. They lose their abode. If you don't believe me, go to Jude, it's, and, and Peter talks about it, where they lose, they walk away from being with God and being the watchers, and they, they go, they as well get tempted by the women, and they want to procreate, and they do. So now we have a rebellion that, that causes people to become so horrendously evil. Where did, where did this drinking of the blood and eating the flesh that we hear the occult does, where does this come from? And then if you do some research, you'll find, if you look, it just doesn't spell it out completely. But if you dig, you find out that in Deuteronomy and, and Numbers and that, when they go, when they're told to go into uh, Israel, when they're in Canaan and take the land, they say of the people that there's giants in the land and they devour one another. I thought devour meant just was mean to one another. No, no, no. They devoured one another. And so God calls the children of Israel to, uh, well, let me go back. So these watchers come down. They create the Nephilim. I'm not going to go into detail. You should. You want to know more? I'm teaching it. Um, and so what takes place right after that is Babel. The flood comes in. Um, there are eight people that are saved. And then when they, they go out, they're to do what? They're to do what Adam and Eve were supposed to do. Multiply and fill the earth. And so that's what they were supposed to do. And they do, but they go into the land of Shinar and they don't want to go across the, out through the world. They want to stay put and make a name for themselves. They want to begin to worship other gods and do it their way. Third rebellion. When they do this, 
God, what he does is he divides up the land. Hmm. When I heard all of this and put this in place, I about flipped. I went, whoa, this just opens my understanding. I'm telling you all of this so that I can tell you where I'm going. So he divides up the land in um, Deuteronomy, I think it's 32. I wasn't going to go here, so I don't have this down. Uh, it says that he divides up the land in, in our newer translations, say, according to the sons of Israel. But that is a, a wrong interpretation because, first of all, Israel didn't exist when they divided up the land and placed someone over them. And secondly, who knows of a Jew that's over everybody? Nobody. So that's a wrong interpretation. The interpretation is that he placed, if you go to the original Hebrew, and if you go to the, um, the ones in the Dead Sea Scroll, you'll find out that Deuteronomy says he places the sons of God over these nations. Who are the sons of God? They are the council, the Elohim, the angels. I, I'll call them angels so you can identify them. He places them over each nation and he disinherits those nations and he immediately goes out and you will have chapter maybe 13, 14 in, um, in Genesis and you'll find that God... What he does is calls Abraham. You following me? Now he chooses a people for himself and he starts all over again like he did with Adam and Eve and then Noah and them. Now he's starting again. Only you've been disinherited. Okay? And he, he takes Abraham and he tells them, that you're going to be a blessing. You're going to multiply upon the earth your, your descendants. And he said, and you're going to be a blessing to the Gentile nations. All of the Gentile nations will be blessed in you. But first he establishes this nation. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? He establishes the nations because he's creating a, a zone where a, a sacred space where he can come and dwell again with his people and bring his kingdom. To prove that, there's this sacred space, and I, I've often wondered these things. Uh, why did Jesus say, to the woman at the well when she said to him, you Jews say we can only worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, there's coming a day. He didn't say that was that moment, but he said there's coming a day when you will not have to worship in Jerusalem, but you will worship me in spirit and in truth. Did you ever wonder about that? Did you ever wonder why did he say that? I have Looked at that through years, trying to get the... I knew I was getting some of it, but the depth of it. Then I found out that the Jewish people, that the place for them to worship, of course, was in Jerusalem. It was sacred space. And they knew it. 
And outside of Jerusalem was a war. It was darkness. It was ran by other foreign gods. And we go, well, I didn't think there was any other gods. Oh, I beg to differ with you. Powers, principalities, rulers in heavenly places. Where did they come from? I used to say that. Where did you come from? The prince of Persia. Michael says, I've got to go war. The prince, he's coming. I've got to go war. The prince of Persia. Who is he? Who put him there? Okay? We found out that God had put him in charge because he disinherited these other nations because they didn't want him. They rejected him. So he disinherits them. And he comes to Israel and he makes this sacred place. Actually, in 2 Kings uh, 5.17, it says that Naaman comes to, um, to Elisha and he says, you know, he's sent there to get healed of leprosy. And Elisha makes him go dunk in the Jordan. He's ticked off. He doesn't want to do it. Someone encourages him. He does it. He comes out and he goes back to Elijah. He's, he wants to pay him, wants to give him all this money. Elijah said, I don't want it. It's like, but, but please take it. No, don't want it. Then do this for me. Give me two donkey loads as much as they can carry of dirt that I can take back. So when I go to worship in, in my king's, because he was this, the king's assistant, when I go into uh, worship, uh, hold the king up, and he can worship this other god that I don't worship him. He brought what? Dirt. Because that land was sacred space where God dwelled. Interesting, isn't it? Doesn't it make sense now? So Jesus comes along and says, one of these days, soon, you won't have to be in Israel, in Jerusalem to worship. You will worship me in spirit and in truth. Amen? Amen. So I'm looking at this thing that Kevin talked about. And I'm going, how do I build the wall? How do I keep encouraged when things are falling around me? How do I do this, Lord? And he'd been speaking to me, do what I tell you to do. When I put my hand on you and say, goose, run. Remember, that's what he said. So if you go back to Nehemiah, you'll find that Nehemiah is a cupbearer. If you don't understand that, you've got to realize he was the one that tasted the king's wine so that in case somebody poisoned him, he would die. So it wasn't such an honorable place, although it was good to be close to the king and you had a lot going for you. Um, it was a dangerous position. And so Nehemiah is there doing what God created and made him to do. That's where I'm going here today. He made him a certain way, gave him certain parents, put him in that, that king's court, and made him have the ability to, to uh, be good and serve the king. And then he gives a burden, puts his hand on his head. 
I want you to be burdened for my, for my walls. And so he is, and God gives him favor to do what he calls him to do. And he sends him to Israel. Uh, to Israel. And he sends him to Jerusalem. And he finds that the walls are, are broken, right? That's what we, we've been listening. We've, we read it, we know. And he gets there, and it's his job to put this thing together so that these walls get built. Now, this is where you come in. He called the people to build right in front of their houses. You, priest, you build here, and you build on this section, and you build in front of your house, and you build in front of your house. This is what you're to do. And then, then the enemy starts attacking and starts saying stuff to get them to stop, to build, stop building, as we heard last week. Um, he, he, you know, if, if you build the wall, you're going to, and a fox hits it, it's going to fall. That's how I felt this morning. You get up there and speak today, pff, it's going to drop over, and you're going to look like an idiot is what you're going to do. That's, I did. I felt those. I thought, okay, will the fox hold up on this thing? I don't know, but I'm going to have to do it anyways. So, so he begins to threaten them so that they would stop doing what they were called to do. And then, and then they're going to fight against them. And so now, not only do they have to take the sword, like Kevin said, but they have to take the rock. Well, let me tell you another thing that's going on in, that, in, in this scenario is that half of them were building the wall and the other half was holding the armor. They were, they were holding the shield and the spear and, and whatever else it took in case they got attacked. So one was over here doing this and watching while the other one was building the law, wall and they probably, probably switched off, I don't know, but they were, there were several things going on at the same time to get this wall built, okay? Why? Because of the sacred place, because of the sacred spot for the kingdom to come, for God to come on the earth and to reign in that area. The walls needed to be built for protection. So now we come to today. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. Have I lost anybody with where I've gone? You good? I'm going to read. And as you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world... According to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 2. As you were formerly out in the world, out in that darkness, 
and you were controlled by the spirits, by the princes that were put in place that went rogue on God. You see, they weren't supposed to go rogue. They were supposed to watch over these, these nations until God can do what he was going to do, but they went rogue on him. And if you don't believe me, go outside and feel the attack and go to different cities and different countries and you'll see something else is controlling that nation. So he said, you were once a part of this, a part of that darkness, a part of that ruling authority. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, were by nature children of wrath, even as the wrath. You were destined for wrath. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Sovereignty. Sovereignty. You didn't choose him. He chose you. Don't lose sight of that. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Let me tell you what workmanship means. It's a word called P-O-I-E-N-A, poena. Means master craftsman. They create something. It's, it's where our poems come from. It's, it's, um, it's a tailor. Um, he, he creates, he builds. He's, it's, it's what he is, okay? Um, he measures us, uh, prepared in advance, ahead of time. It's called protomasa. He measures us. This is, I'm leaving out some of the stuff, so that won't make sense, but I'm going to try to fill it in without going there. What I'm trying to say is this. God says you're his workmanship. He created you in the family. He created you with a personality. He created you who you are because he's going to take you and he's going to work you and you're going to become a master craftsman for your job, for what you're supposed to do. And he's the one that's going to do it. This is where his sovereignty comes in. He's the one that calls, and you have to answer, but he's the one initiating it. And he's the one that is creating you to do the task that he called you to do. Okay? You're his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore, remember that formerly you, you guys, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise. You had nothing. Nothing. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now, now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one broke down into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man thus establishing peace why did he put that in there for us gentiles that don't understand too much because he put that in there because israel was the promise Israel was the place of presence. Israel had the favor. Israel was the chosen ones. You know that, but I'm telling you it again, okay? They were the chosen ones. And now he says, because of Jesus, you've been brought near and you share in the promises of Israel. Okay, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity, and he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers, aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God. You, as we've heard, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are a dwelling place. You are sacred dirt. You're sacred. You have the ability to bring the presence of God to where you're going. Ah, I lost my page. Where am I going to go? Um, look at Romans, no, 1 Corinthians 10. Go to 1 Corinthians 10. Where am I going with this? You're going, we're going to talk about building the wall. And let me find my paper. 
1 Corinthians 10. No, 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 14. Sorry about that, but I had it down earlier. It was the wrong one. First Corinthians 12, 14 says this, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. It is not for this reason, any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an ear, I am not part of the body. It is not for this reason, any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more present, able members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked so that there, would, there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then heal, gifts of healing, helps, administration, various kinds of tongue, tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, Healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And then he begins to say, and I'll show you a greater gift than that is to love. What am I saying? If we don't learn what God has created us to be, who he's created us to be. If we don't learn to understand why he put you in the family that he put you in, why he gave you the personality that he gave you, why he gave you the desire and why he called you, you're going to miss what you're supposed to be doing. And the wall will not get built. And if it doesn't get built, there's a hole where the enemy can come in and devour not only you, but the rest of the people. You're important. You're vital. You're important. Say it. I'm important. We live under a foreign 
entities that tell us that we are stupid, ugly, dumb, lazy, maybe better than someone else. He can go the opposite way as well. Have it all together. Don't need one another. We hear it all. But God said you're part of his body and you each have a different function. God says there's a wall and you do what's in front of you if you will just take care of what's in front of you. The kingdom will come. That's what I want to ask you. What does God tell you to do? And does he tell you that you can't do it? Does he say, don't even bother? You'll screw it up. Let me tell you another thing that I found out back there. I told you at the beginning of this, there's so many things that are floating around. Is the United States going to go down? Is it going to rise up? What is God going to do? And one of the things that in Nehemiah that they did was they came and said, the king doesn't want you building. The king doesn't want you building. What are you hearing? The king doesn't want America. The king doesn't want you prospering. He's ticked. He's going to bring judgment. That's what you're hearing? The king. What does Nehemiah do? He goes, I know my God. I know my king. I was just with him. He told me to build the wall. Is the enemy telling you it's too late for America? Is the enemy telling you it's too late for you? You're too old. You're not going to ever make it. You're never going to do what you're supposed to do because, after all, you were created quiet, scared. You don't look like so-and-so. You don't have their ability. You can't do this and you can't do that. And God says, I didn't ask you to do that or this. I'm asking you to do what I put in front of you. Just obey. Go to Romans 8. <laughs> Listen, I'm an exhorter by, by um, divine... So, uh, well, how, how do I say this? God created me as, I'll, I'll do it that way. God created me an exhorter. If I don't feel like I'm exhorting you guys, I'm a failure. Seriously. Seriously. Because that's who I am. So I find myself intense like I am now. And I think, no, 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 you can't be intense. You've got to exhort them to this higher place. But listen, let me with my intensity, because I can't help myself, let me intensely exhort you today to, to get back into the throne room and find out what he said about you. In the scripture, it says in, in Romans 8, 14, 
For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. In, in John 15, it says, listen, I've cre- I, I, I've, I've call- I'm the vine, you're the branches. Uh, I've been sharing this with Cheryl. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Uh, you're already clean. You're, all- Whoa. you're already clean because what I spoke to you. You have stuff you've screwed up. The Lord says, I can clean you. You're already clean because of the blood, because of who I am, and because you believe in me. You're already clean. Abide in me and let my words abide in you. Because apart from me, you can't do anything. Did you find yourself not being able to do anything? Do you find yourself helpless on where, what is my part? What can I do? How can I do this? Have you found yourself that the enemy says, go, su- sh- go shut up and sit down? You don't know what you're talking about? God says, I created you a certain way. Here's what I need from you. I need you to learn to listen to my voice. I need you to fill yourself up with the word so that I can direct you exactly where I want you to go. So that you can build the wall in front of you or you can carry the armor for another person while they're building their wall. Cheryl, can I share a little bit between me and you? Cheryl's going through a trial, we all know. And right now, it is hard for her to hold up the shield of faith. It's difficult. She's in the war, the battle. Our job, when the Lord tells us, is to take the shield of faith and put it in front of her. Hold it up so that the darts can't destroy her. Our job is to take the sword of the Spirit and go to the enemy. Our job is to shod her with the gospel of peace so that she can walk. (sighs) Makes me want to cry. In peace. And it's what we're supposed to do for each and every one of us. Because we're to build the kingdom and we're to bring the kingdom and we're to, do you understand That we as a body have created a sacred space here. Do you know it says, I hope I'm making sense because I'm giving you a lot of information that I've had to learn over the last year. Um, It says uh, in Corinthians, uh, Paul goes and there's immorality that's nasty. And he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I'm going to deal with this person and I want you to exclude him out of the body. Why? And he says, I'm going to hand him over to Satan. Didn't that ever bug you? What in the heck? I thought we were supposed to love everybody. We are. But sometimes we're supposed to put him out. Why? Because sin leads to death. And when they leave the protection of the body, they are exposed to the enemy. Because out there, 
is darkness. Have you noticed it lately? Out there is darkness. So we create, the church creates the walls that Kevin was talking about out around the temple. There's a place that's safe. There's a place where you're protected. There's a place where people are fighting for you. There's a place where you can encounter the presence of the Holy Spirit so that you can be filled and so that you can go out and bring more people in because they are in bondage out there they are in despair out there darkness and sin has them as prisoners out there so your and my job is to get filled be protected so when that person is sinning you don't want the rest of the group to think it's okay to commit any kind of immorality or to steal so what do you do when they're caught in sin and they won't repent? This is if they don't repent. You put them outside so that they will experience their, their sin so that they will repent. So that their soul will be saved. So here we are and God says it's not that complicated it's not that complicated find out what he's made you to be and to do and do it with all your heart and listen I, I have a tendency to want to do everything and um, I want to I want to be interceding, and I want to be healing the sick, and I want to be teaching, and I want to be worshiping, and I want to be out witnessing, and, and I find that I want to do so much of it that when I try on my own, it falls to the ground and destroys my faith. But I find... When I listen to the Spirit and do what he tells me to do, I'm, my faith increases and I accomplish the task that he created me to do. And I build the wall and I become whatever it is that I'm supposed to be. And I do it and the kingdom is coming and his presence is here. And I accomplish what he tells me to accomplish. Why do you think it says not to be jealous or envious? Why do you think he says to rejoice when God's doing something over here? Because he's telling you to back up the other person. He'll get to you. He'll, get, he'll give you the stuff that he wants you to do. You will succeed in what you're supposed to be doing if you will follow the voice of the Holy Spirit and not get sidetracked by all of the things that are coming at you, but do what you're called to do today. Let peace lead you. Follow him. Ask him. Spend time with him. so that we can get the job done.
I have had to, I have cried out for an awakening. And then I found out, I thought it was for our church, and then the Lord expanded it to other churches, to the body of Christ, and then to our nation. Whoa. But it goes beyond that. It goes to the places where the children are being held and being tormented and being taken. It goes to the place where the drug addicts are dying and the alcoholics, the prostitutes, the homosexuals. Now, our kids don't even know if they're boy or girl. I want to scream, awaken, awaken, do the task that you've been called to do and stop listening to the lies of the enemy that you will not succeed and that it's not big enough or good enough. One little hole in a wall can bring it down. So fill it with what you're supposed to be doing. Because I started out with the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Do you not feel the desperateness of the need of his kingdom to come? People are getting ravished with cancer ravished with ALS, ravished with every disease and, uh, that we can think of right now. They are ravished, and God says, bring my kingdom. Bring it. I don't want this. My purpose is that you bring my kingdom, that you bring my healing, that you bring the word of the Lord. I may never pray for someone and they get healed, but you may. And if you do and you have that gift, I'm going to bring everybody that I know to you. Who cares whether it's you or me or someone else that's healing them? If the spirit is moving on you, then let's move. Let's rejoice over the other person and what they're doing and, and what gifting they have. Don't look at each other and go, well, they're stupid. Well, maybe you don't I don't have the brain that you do. But I might have something you don't. Let's honor one another. Let's lift others. It, that, do you see where, where the scripture that says honor one another? Why? Because you, they have something that the wall needs, that the kingdom needs, that your neighbor needs. So lift them up so that they can do their task, so that we can, we can accomplish freedom, deliverance, healing, Joy, peace. Oh my gosh.
I'm intense. Oh, God. <laughs> Makes me laugh. <laughs> oh.